we had to be okay with that. And we also had to be okay with having tough conversations with people to say like, listen, I know that you're lovingly trying to give me this advice, but I didn't ask for it. So please stop. Hey, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and today I am so excited to give you Chelsea's special topic episode all about our relationships with friends and family and how they shift when our child with disabilities and medical complexities enters the picture. This episode will mean a lot more to you if you have the context of Chelsea's story episode. So if you haven't caught it yet, I invite you to hit pause, listen to that one, and then come back to this one. So as I've been thinking about this super important topic, I realized that, at least for me, in a lot of ways, when we first receive a diagnosis or, you know, find out that our child is disabled or has medical complexities in whatever way that happens, we, I don't know, we often feel kind of violently torn away from our friends and family because we suddenly feel other. And find ourselves facing a very different reality than our friends and family. And of course, this assumes that your friends and family aren't exposed or impacted by disability. But in many ways, this episode is kind of an examination of that initial tearing away and ways that we can rebuild that relationship with friends and family and not necessarily trying or attempting the impossible of making it how it was before, but building something new that fits our new lives and our new realities. So in this episode, Chelsea and I chat about the isolation that we feel in knowing our friends and family have no idea what we're going through. And we also talk about ways that we can try to be just a little more vulnerable with them and how to tell our friends and family what kind of support we need. If while listening to this episode, you're like, oh my goodness, I want my amazing friends and family to hear this, and you feel like your relationship could benefit in one way or another from this, uh, do it, share it. And if you are a friend or family member listening right now, I give you an extra special welcome, and I think it's amazing that you care so deeply about the well-being of your relationship with your loved one, you know, enough to come and listen to this. And this is the perfect spot for a disclaimer. In this episode, Chelsea and I talk about navigating this with our loving, non-abusive, non-toxic families. And I am fully and painfully aware that that is not always the case which truly sucks. So if you have found it healthier for you and your child to set intense boundaries or to even cut ties with family and friends, I see you. I hope that while you're listening, it doesn't make you feel more alone than you did before. You're not alone. You do matter. And setting healthy boundaries matters. So... We know all too well that there are many ways that we feel other from our friends and family. The medical and therapy appointments we attend, the concerns that keep us up at night that they've never even imagined, and all the equipment that our children require. 
maybe trachs, mobility aids, hearing aids, and feeding tubes. I've told this story before, but it was so unsettling to me when Kimball was a baby and he was still tube fed and my mom was going to care for our kids overnight while we went to some parent conference. And my own mother, my all-knowing mother, who I always turned to for answers, was so nervous to give him his feeds that she didn't eat the whole day. How disorienting and validating is that? It just flipped everything on its head. The learning curve when using a feeding tube for our children is so steep, which is why Moog Medical, the creators of the Infinity Feeding Pump, which I know many of our kids use, has a live support line available 24-7 for caregivers to troubleshoot when issues arise. As far as I know, the company that supplied Kimball's feeding pump did not have the helpline like that, and man, that would have been so helpful. So it makes me happy knowing that those of you who use the Infinity Pump have that available to you. There's a link in the show notes that leads you to their website with the helpline phone number if you were unaware of that and want to use it for your child, if you do use the Infinity Pump for them. Chelsea, our lovely guest for this episode, uses the Infinity Pump for her younger son, Emerson. She told me, Without Moog Infinity Pump, our son would not be alive today. And so we are so thankful for their pump and the service that it provides to keep our child alive. Man, isn't that the truth? Like, what would we do without these medical companies? So many of us are in the same boat as Chelsea and... Our children would not be here today without companies like Moog Medical. And this episode wouldn't be here without Moog Medical. So a huge thank you to them for generously sponsoring this episode and for the reminder that they truly care about this community. Okay, without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Chelsea. Welcome back to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be back. So I'm really excited to chat about the way that our relationships, mostly with our, you know, our family and our friends are impacted by our children's disabilities, because I'm pretty sure that's a universal thing. Like everyone feels some level of kind of disconnect that happens once we um, enter a different type of parenting experience than our peers and our family members and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of a difficult thing to navigate and it's, you know, complicated and I'm grateful that you're willing to chat about this. I know it's kind of like a, I don't know, no one wants to like badmouth their family members or whatever, but I, I hope that like, you know, the honesty that we have will be able to help other parents experiencing similar things know that they're not alone in, you know, these kind of difficult circumstances. So I would love for you to start out with sharing how your family reacted and, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly from when Jace was born. So your first child with disabilities and, you know, how that kind of went down. So I was, again, a little bit more naive myself. And so once we kind of figured out, like, this was more of a lifelong thing, it wasn't until he was like two And so when we first had him, it was kind of like everybody was learning with us, you know, like our family was learning diagnoses with us and it was kind of hard at first. We had some family members that were like telling us, 
that we needed to like go see certain doctors or that these doctors were the best and the doctors that we were going to weren't the best and all that stuff. And I know that it comes from a good place, especially with family, but sometimes you have to drown out the noise and come together as, you know, for my husband and I, we just, we are the team. Mm-hmm. And yes, your family is a, a support system and they're like an olive branch. But for us, like we are the tree and we have to stand there and make the decisions that's best for our family. And not everybody agreed with certain decisions that we made, but we had to be okay with that. And we also had to be okay with having tough conversations with people to say like, listen, it's not okay what you're doing and know that the decisions that we're making, we believe are the best for our child. And we didn't ask for your advice, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's a hard thing to say, you know, like, Hey, I know that you're lovingly trying to give me this advice, but I didn't ask for it. So please stop, you know, like, and that I think hardest for us because we kind of had to deal with that really early on at first. And then, you know, as time went on, people kind of just were like, okay, like every time we were making a new decision with our oldest and needing, you know, surgery and stuff like that, they were just like, okay, when's the surgery? And so that I think was, as he got older, it was a little bit more manageable and easier. Yeah. I mean, like unsolicited advice from friends and family, I feel like is such a thing when you are a parent at all and especially new parents. So, I mean, I feel like it's like, yeah, it, it comes to in the form of medical advice when they don't really have reason to know this stuff. But like, I don't know. I think, you know, it definitely comes from a place of love, like you said. But I, I think that's really cool that you plucked up the courage to respectfully say like, we didn't ask for your advice. And I'm sure that that helped you and Jacob have more clarity when making decisions when you don't have just a million different opinions being thrown your way as well as well as your doctor's opinions and you know your own insights and thoughts and I bet that was such a big improvement to not be getting all that noise yeah definitely and on the other side of it once we had our second it was more of like the feeling where some people just, they weren't necessarily allowing themselves to kind of sit in the fact that both of our children were born with airway malformations and they were born with a disability. And so I think that word in itself is kind of hard for some people. And even for myself, like as, as a parent, you know, for a long time, like I didn't think that we fit under the line of disability. Like why, why would I, because both of my children on the outside appear somewhat typical. And so I was kind of like, oh, well I could sneak by, you know, I could sneak by and people wouldn't really know, but then I had to realize for myself, like, no, I have to stand in the truth of that. Like my kids both have disabilities and they were both born with airway malformations and it will affect them their whole life. And so like, I have to be okay with that. And for me to be okay with that, it also shows them that they can stand in their truth and who they are and how they were born and be 
proud of who they are and what they were born with versus trying to hide or say like, oh no, they're, they're not, you know, born that way. And I think both my husband and I struggled with that, you know, like he would say like, oh, I didn't tell anybody, you know, even his work was like, oh, congratulations, you know, you have a baby. And like, he didn't tell anybody that we were in the NICU or anything. Cause it's almost like, you almost feel like ashamed. And I feel like that comes with that. So I feel like as medical parents for us, we really had to kind of come out of that and be like, no, this is, these are who our kids are. Mm-hmm. can't change that. This is how they were made and born. And we have to be proud of who they are. And as soon as we start showing other people just how proud we are of them, then people will in turn respect and be proud of who our kids are. And I think that like, it was a harder thing. And still, I think for some of my family members, it is hard. Like, it's almost like, oh, a surgery, like, oh, so they're going to be fixed, right? Like that was, that was the thing, like surgery was just going to fix them and then everything would be okay. And it's hard to say like, no, well, the surgery is not to fix them. The surgery is to help them. And I think sometimes in society, we have like a skewed thinking of like surgery, you know, usually people go in for surgery because they break their foot or break their arm or whatever, and they're fixing their arm and their leg. Yes. But when you are born with a malformation and things are not typical, then there is nothing that can fix that, you know, surgery or otherwise. And for our kids, that's just where that lies. Like they don't have a fix all for our kids. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was in the previous episode where you were saying that you had to come to terms with that, right? Like this is long-term, like when your oldest was two, like this is how it's going to be. Or I guess you were just saying this, but he's disabled and this is our lives. And I almost think that like our family members and our friends, like they kind of need to also come to a similar conclusion, right? And it's probably going to be after it happens for us because we're in the thick of it and they might be following our lead with that. But like for them to eventually come to the conclusion, my grandchild or my nephew or like whatever it is, is disabled. This is a lifelong condition. Um, this is part of who he is. I'm super proud of it. And the surgery is not going to quote unquote fix him. Like this is part of managing symptoms. And I don't know. I feel like there's kind of this parallel evolution that can happen with family and friends, or at least that we hope happens with them. Right. Because if that doesn't happen ever I think that's where a lot of like the really big rifts can happen and you can feel really isolated from family members if they won't accept your child as as disabled or you know see for who they are and I I like kind of picturing them going through a similar evolution with us Mm. delayed but with us you know yeah of course because they are walking through it and they're seeing you walk through it and so it's close but it's not immediate you know it's not they don't feel those risks as hard you know when you're going through sicknesses and hospitalizations and surgeries and all that stuff and they do they feel it I mean of course Mm -hmm. as your parents like or siblings like they do feel it it's just one of those things where because we are in the thick of it we have to kind of figure it out ourselves before even having conversation or coming to terms Mm -hmm. with our own family members or friends or whoever that it might be 
you know, affecting. And I think that's kind of, it's a hard balance because even still, I feel some people haven't necessarily come to terms with that, you know, that like, this is just who our children are. And I don't even think that they even realize it. You know, I think that they think that they're being supportive and they are in so many ways. And then there's other ways that are huge that have impacted us more of like, well, why did you say that? Or like, like that kind of stings and hurts a little. You say something like that. Can you give some examples? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) somewhere like people have said like, oh, well, thank God that happened to you because it happened to me. You know, I wouldn't know what to do. So I was really angry at first, you know, this is when Jace was little and I was like, what? Like, why would you ever say that? (laughs) But also I feel like, again, like giving people that grace in that it's just like, they, they try to put themselves in your position. And so they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do it. Whereas like, well, no one knows how they do it. Like, I don't know how I do it. I just get up every day and do what I do because I need to help my kids survive. You know, like Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for me hooking up Emerson's belly, he would be malnourished. Like, you know, there are things where I I have to do it because Mm -hmm. that is my life. I would like to think that every single mom here and listening would do the same exact thing. You have a diagnosis of something and you, it is what it is. You have to deal with what is dealt and what you, what you are given because you don't have a choice. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't have that choice. And I like pretty much guarantee that every parent ever that has a child with any kind of medical stuff feels the exact same way of like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know how I'm doing it. Or like, I also feel like, man, that should have happened to someone else because I would not be able to handle that. Like, we're all feeling that. Yeah. I think that kind of comment, because that's so common. I feel like that type of comment is definitely cringy. Like, you're kind of like, you would deal with it. And I'm not like superhuman. This is really hard for me too. But it is like validating too. I don't know. I Because I, I have mixed feelings about it. Because I'm like, it does feel like, oh, you're acknowledging that this is hard. Because I think sometimes on the flip side of that, there's kind of this like, oh, yeah, I know how you feel. My child's teething right now. And it's, you know, it's so sad to see them in pain or like whatever. And like making these analogies that are like, that's not the same thing. But <laughs> so at least they're acknowledging it, right? They're like recognizing like, oh, that looks really hard. Yeah. Uh, to your point, like on the other side of things, like trying to relate when it's not- <laughs> relatable you know like it's just not a relatable thing like especially like in our family like where I'm one of five my husband is one of four and like we have a big family but our kids are the only children that have disabilities like there's nobody else in our family that does and so it's kind of hard like when Mm. it is like that oh well my kids are teething or oh my gosh my kid does not sleep and I'm like okay well the next time they're like up turning blue and like you're trying to like suck in their mouth and keep them like alive then like then we can talk like that's yeah. why sometimes I'm just like are you serious like okay they were teething but like it is a struggle for some people who don't have children with disabilities and that is a real thing like 
they are tired and they are exhausted. And so we can fall prey to like the comparison of like, well, oh, my life is really hard. And like, but we also have to like, make sure that those hards for other people, even though they might not look the same as ours, it is their hard and they are struggling and having a hard time too. It just, it looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it can be, I know this is like a huge part of the whole like family and friends conversation, but like it can be so isolating because you know, there it's so, so painfully obvious that like they have no idea. And I think that's kind of like something that's happened again and again for me with my loving, awesome family that I love so much where like there'll be some comments made and like, some I don't know, maybe like using the teething thing as an example, they have no idea. And I think that's kind of like a really painful place to be in when it comes to like your family and especially if you are really close with them and you love them and, and with friends too, to realize that huge divide as far as lived experience. Things I've lived through, I mean, what could compare and like what you've been through I mean, not again, not that they have easy lives or that there aren't hard things going on in their lives that I don't understand, but like just that feeling of my own mom doesn't understand what this is like. And my own sister and my brother, like these people that I look to for like advice and, and stuff, like they just don't get it. Mm-hmm. And ouch, you know, especially at the beginning. Yeah. When you feel like you're the only one on this earth with any kind of, yeah, I go to the child that's disabled at all. Like, yeah, it just feels so isolating. Yeah, it definitely feels isolating. And I think I've talked to you too about this, where it's just like the longer and the older our kids get, I would get comments all the time when I was pregnant with Emerson. And I was like, oh, I just, I don't know. I'm like really worried, you know, like what if he is born with the same thing? And people would make comments all the time about like, well, no, that's not going to happen. And I'm like, well, how do you know that? Like, I know that and you don't know that. And so that comment is actually not as comforting as you would think that it's, it is being, you know, like you might think that that's a comforting comment, but it's not because in reality, we didn't know that that was going to happen with our first and the diagnosis that he had. And then coming around a second time, it definitely felt more isolating. I feel like the second time around, you know, cause like in the NICU, I think, well, this was before COVID, but people could come and visit you. And like, we had a few family members that would come and, you know, we got comments too that were made like, you know, when our first was born, well, I'm really sorry, I'm not there for you, but like, I'm having a hard time with this. And I'm like, you know, we look at it like, okay, well, if you're having a hard time, imagine how difficult this is for us, because Mm -hmm. like this, this is our child. Mm -hmm. And those kind of comments are the ones that can be really hurtful because it's like, you can't get past your own emotions to just be there for us, Mm -hmm. you know, to be in the room and sit with us and see this family member, you know, it's just like, it is, it can be very isolating even with family because sometimes life gets busy and they don't come and visit or, you know, now they're in there for so long and it's just like, okay, well, you don't need any more visitors kind of thing or, Mm -hmm. oh, I've already visited. And that is kind of hard, you know, because people don't realize like we had friends that we would go and visit when they had kids and then like they didn't come and visit us. And it was just kind of like, 
well, that kind of sucks. And then I thought too, well, maybe they don't know that people can't visit us. So then like the second time around, I'm like, you know, people can come and visit us in the NICU. Like you can come, there's only two people at a time, but like you can still come and see them. And outside of our family, we had two of our friends too, because Mm -hmm. people just didn't want to, or maybe it was too hard for them, or I don't know, but those things I think are the more isolating things. And then as they've gotten older and I've told this to you, but it's like, you're, we're kind of like old news. Like our kids, they have airway malformations and, you know, because they look quote unquote, okay, that people just think that our life is hunky dory and that like, we don't struggle and they don't struggle And that is hard because like, sometimes I found myself wishing that they had something that people could actually see because like, then people would understand because now with people not being able to see then like, well, they're fine, you know, they're okay, but they look fine and they look healthy. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course they do because I've worked my butt off to get them to where they are, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's a lot. Like, so thank you. I'm glad that they look healthy and good to you because it has been a lot for me and for my husband and the things that people don't see, I think is the hardest. And I have found myself, like I said, like kind of wishing that. And once Emerson had a G2, it was kind of like, oh, well, actually people can see that like he has an inefficiency to swallow. Whereas like Jace, he just struggled his whole life and he still struggles and People don't even realize the amount that he struggles. And like, I actually shared recently when he had his scope done, he had a triple scope done in December and his airway was so severely inflamed, like just just so sick. Even like his vocal cords, like they look more gray than they do like a pink color. And it's crazy because I got people like I had shared on my stories and I had people like messaging me wow I didn't realize like that that's what his airway looked like and I think visually when people see it it's like oh okay but without them seeing that they're just like well he's he's acting normal like that's what they say like oh he's acting normal I'm like well yeah but it takes him like he's a kid. So he's going to be a kid and kids when they're sick, sometimes you don't even know if they're sick because they're kids and they just want to play and do whatever. And so he is still a kid and he is still going to act quote unquote normal to you because he is using so much energy to just be a kid. That I think is where it's the hardest for me and for my husband. I feel like with their specific diagnosis. Yeah. Those invisible disabilities. I know I've heard from other parents too, that that's like, it's just so difficult because it feels minimized, like the stuff that you're going through, because you don't have like the obvious physical stuff that people can see. And then also, I don't know. I just feel like it's such a huge part of who your family is and who you are. And so like, for people to not acknowledge that or to not see that I think feels hurtful just in like 
like, hey, this is a part of our lives. This is what we do. This is how I feel. And it's invisible. Like you can't see that. And so it's not acknowledged, which I think is pretty hurtful, like for something like that to not be acknowledged or not be noticed. And I'm not even exactly sure. I can't even put a finger on it, but I just feel like it is. It's it's like, especially with friends and family members, you want them to know you and you want to feel known. And so I think if they don't see that or they are like, oh, everything's fine. Like, he's fine. That's so great. He's better, whatever. It's just not true. And so I think that feels just kind of hurtful. Yeah. I shared today, actually, on one of my reels, it was just more of minimizing how a parent feels like a medical parent feels and I feel like that is something that can make a medical parent feel so minimized you know in their situation when you say certain things that you might not mean to say but those things can like minimize their diagnosis or minimize how they're feeling and just because you might not see that doesn't mean that they're struggling or that it's hard for them And so I think that that's kind of, it's a hard balance, especially with like family and friends, because your family truly does mean well. And it's not most of the time they really do like they mean well and they want to love and support you. And so they're trying to do what is what they feel is best. And I think as medical parents, we should not be afraid to say things and share those things with them because that is how you change the wave you know like how we change how people respond to other people you know like I used to always be like oh my gosh what if my child says something to another person that might be physically disabled or you know where they're in a wheelchair or something like that and like how embarrassing that i would feel and on the opposite end of that i want to be more open with my children and we are like we discuss things all the time because it doesn't make it wrong because your child's asking about something because they're curious because their little minds want to know why. And that's an okay thing. And I think that we as parents need to be more open and honest with those discussions, but it is hard because if you yourself as a parent, or if a family member or friend has not truly accepted the disability that they have, then you cannot actually show how to speak properly or answer properly because you you have to kind of find that within yourself to know like, well, this is what it is and then kind of move on from that. Yeah. And you need to feel like safe too, like sharing, especially if it's like, yes, like the whole like etiquette or like this is, you know, an appropriate way to reference it and this isn't but also like when it's like hey I'm really struggling right now because I'm worried about this and this with my child and I'm not sure what's going to happen or whatever like those kind of conversations are so vulnerable and especially knowing that you're opening up to someone that hasn't lived this experience like I think in some ways it's easier to open up to other parents that have disabled kids because you know they get it but like to open up in that way to a family member or a friend who you know hasn't experienced that, 
you need to know that they are in a place to receive that because it is so, you're just so vulnerable. It's so intimate to share that kind of thing. And I think, I don't know, I've been thinking too about like my relationship with my family and I guard that stuff and I love my family. Like we're a very open family, but like I think in part because it feels kind of exhausting to explain and it's again easier when you're talking to another parent because you can say much less and they totally get it. Mm -hmm. But like I think one thing that makes it easier for me personally, and I don't know if listeners or you have experienced this too, is talking about hard things after they've happened, right? Because like I've had time to process it. I have some space from it and kind of figure out how I feel about it. And then I'll like, sometimes I'll just bring it up because I'm like, you know what? Before I'd be like, oh my gosh, no one understands. I'm the only one in my family dealing with this. This is so sad. And I've been able to kind of like move into a place of like, I'm the only one experiencing this. I want my family to have a, a glimpse into this world. Like I want them to know about this stuff. This is a part of my life that I have grown to actually, I would say love, you know, hate love. It's hard, but it's also like a big part of my life. And so sharing like, oh, something just came up about Kimball's hearing aids. Oh, when Kimball first got his hearing aids, I was a wreck. It was so hard. There's all these things that go into it that, you know, and, and just kind of like, I think using opportunities when you feel like you can emotionally share and that knowing that your family's in a place where they can receive that. I don't know. I just feel like that has brought a, a huge closeness to my family that I didn't necessarily have in those first few years because I've invited them into my world, knowing they can't fully understand it because they haven't lived it, but to invite them in with those kind of narratives that we feel comfortable sharing, I think, I don't know, I have found very helpful. I think that's huge too. And and on the opposite side of this, like for parents or siblings who are listening that have family members that have children with disabilities and things, it's so important to be able to just listen, you know, and like mm-hmm. not feel like you have to say something or you have to say the right thing. And sometimes people like when we're, when we're expressing how we're feeling about a situation, like for you and you're like, Kimball got his hearing aids and that totally sucked the first time. And I just had all these feelings. And it's like, you want those people to just listen and just mm-hmm. be there and say, yeah, that does suck. Or I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And instead of like inserting, oh, well, that was really hard for me or, you know, all this stuff, because like, of course, now that we are parents ourselves, we can kind of see how difficult it is for our parents to watch us, you know, like our own children who have a disability or a medically complex kid. It is hard And so it doesn't minimize how they're feeling. And we know like as individuals with parents, like we know now how our our parents can feel Mm -hmm. through this. And so it's so important to just like allow ourselves to just say what we need to say. And sometimes like, I I feel like for me, sometimes I I don't share things because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get emotional and I don't want to Mm -hmm. be emotional or be the person that's like always emotional when I'm sharing things with my family. And so I'm most vulnerable with my husband and he knows everything. And I just tell him and then I'm like, that's fine, you know? But I think that it is important to share with your friends and your family 
when those times are most difficult. And it doesn't have to be when you're going through it. It can be after the fact. It can be months later. It can be a year later. Um, It doesn't have to be when you're walking through that because I feel like even still when you do that stuff, you're still learning yourself on like how to deal with it and how to cope with those things each step of the way. And so I think that it's important to allow yourself to have those feelings first before really ever trying to explain to someone who, again, like you said, your family, like they're supportive, but they don't know. They haven't walked through that. And so I think it's important to do that and allow yourself that. And also like, I think being self-aware of like what you need in that moment, because sometimes like when I when it's like in the thick of it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of this appointment we're about to have. And what if we get bad news? And this is triggering. Sometimes I do feel like I can share that right then. And I want to, even though I feel, th- so I guess I'll use an example of like my mom, where like probably most of us, like this a similar relationship where you're like, you know, just kind of like when something's hurting, you're like, oh, where's my mom? (laughs) Like even as an adult, where's my mom? And so like, I've learned to like, you know, reopen to her, but like even just things like, hey mom, like in a text, hey mom, we're having a a scary appointment with neurosurgery for Kimball. I'm scared. Can you be thinking of me? And I mean, I wasn't doing that as much before because I think I was kind of like wallowing in my isolation of like, oh, I'm so alone. No one understands. But like, even just a quick text like that, if you can't handle like talking it out, I feel so supported with that because even though she hasn't been through it herself, like she can still shoot me a text back and be like, oh, yes, I'll be praying for you. I'll be thinking about you. And then, you know, the next day after the appointment, hey, how things go? I've been thinking about you. And I think it just it feels really good to invite people in when you feel like you're ready for that. Yeah. Even like in the thick of it, if it's just a text or just, you know, whatever you can handle, if it's something that you feel like will be helpful for you. And I think on the opposite side of that, I think that our family and our friends like want that. They feel like they're invited into that and they want to help. And sometimes they don't know how. And so sending a text is saying like, hey, please think of us or pray for us or whatever. That is a way for them to support you. And sometimes it is, it can be really hard, but I think it's, it's super important. Even when we were in the NICU, we like would make decisions. And then, cause like we would just do like a mass text to our family, like, Hey, this is just an update. This is what's happening X, Y, and Z. And through that, we would also send attached to that text message, just saying like, we don't want to talk about it this is the decision that we've made and we don't want to talk about it. Just so you know, surgery is happening this day or this time. And we don't want to discuss, like we don't know a lot of questions or we don't have a lot of answers to things. So please don't ask us questions. And that is an okay thing to ask for your family and your family will be okay with that. And if they're not, that's their own thing that they got to figure out because it's not your job to make it okay. You're allowed to ask questions because you're the parent. (laughs) But when someone is asking you and flooding you with like all of these questions and you don't really have the answers to them and then it's more frustrating than anything, that can be so hard. And you feel like you're literally like being swallowed up by everything around you. And 
it's okay to like put that disclaimer and say, listen, I don't, I don't want questions. I don't want to talk about it. And this is what we're doing. And all of our family, like when we would send out text messages, like they would all respect it and not ask, even if you're just like, please don't respond back to this thread because there's so many people in it and I don't want anybody responding. And and they won't, you know, like, or they'll respond separately. So I think putting those boundaries on that is super important and it's also helpful. Like it can help your family to kind of navigate how to rightly support you and your family when you're going through things. And on the opposite side, like you said, like it also helps us. We find our ways that we need to be supported the most and we're still navigating that. And I think we will forever as medical parents because different situations call for different types of support. And sometimes what worked before as support doesn't necessarily help in other situations. And I think that's all kind of what we learn when we go through the process of new surgeries, new diagnosis, new appointments, all this stuff. But I, I think it is super important to just share that with your family and know that if your family is upset about something that you have put in place or a boundary that you have put in place that is not your fault and that they will get over it eventually you don't need to explain yourself of why you want things a certain way when you're going through a diagnosis or having something big happen it's not your responsibility to express why you want all of these things to happen or why you don't want people to ask you questions. It should just be an automatic and they should be okay with it. Yeah. I love everything you just said. I think that's so wise to be like, we're going to navigate this together and I'm going to set boundaries. And if you're not cool with it, like, I'm sorry, you know, and I know that some people have had really bad experiences with friends and family with that this whole thing. And I, I feel, I feel for people because it's difficult, even in the best of scenarios, even when your family is totally supportive and loving and well-intended. One thing too, I wanted to hit on, I know we talked about this previously, is watching your children's cousins. So right, like the, your siblings' kids and kind of having that side-by-side comparison of like, I don't know if envy is the right word, but just kind of a little bit of, I don't know, like I felt a little bit of bitterness of being like, look at how charmed their life is. And I think it's kind of like, it's because they're your family. And so like, it's just closer up, but it's kind of, I don't know. It's probably a similar thing with like all kids ever that are like scamper a home from the hospital and they're totally healthy and they're happy. And you know, their biggest thing is teething. Like, I think there's also like this kind of bitterness that creeps in too with like the cousins of like, oh my gosh, they didn't have to go through anything compared to like what my child's gone through. And I I don't know, I think that is a difficult thing to navigate too. I think that can be the hardest one, honestly, because especially for like your nieces and nephews, you like love and adore them because they're your nieces and nephews, you know? Mm. And it is definitely more difficult because sometimes you look like, even for my husband and I, like we have never in our lives since our kids have been born, been able to like 
go on a date, you know, like we can't leave our kids with many people. And we did actually one time we spent like an overnight, I was pregnant with Emerson and it was our anniversary. And then we left our son, our oldest son with my parents. And then recently, well, we are going to next week, which I'm terrified of and leaving both our kids for the first time in six years. Like we have never left our kids because we have to go close on our house. And so like, there are things that we don't have the flexibility of that most people have. So like sometimes when people are like, oh, we were going to go here, but now we can't because so-and-so can't watch our kids or whatever. And I'm just like, oh man, that sucks. You know, like, (laughs) and it's, it's hard to have like empathy for it because it's just like, well, the last time we went out was a long time ago, you know, we don't get the flexibility of being able to do that. And that is okay. It's just, that is what our life is, but it's hard, I think, to see that. And it's hard to see my nieces and nephews, you know, they're playing sports and doing things. And Jace, like we've put him in like soccer and stuff, but there's always that like struggle of he's a little bit noisier and then kids are making comments. And that's hard because that I think is the hardest when you're like watching your family like play and your nieces and nephews and all that stuff. And then to know that your child might never be like that. You know, they might never be able to have the stamina that your other nieces and nephews have or your family members. And so that I think is the hardest to watch because like, I want that so badly for my kids, but that just because I want it doesn't mean that that's what will happen. And so Jace and Emerson, they will both thrive in their other things in life that they will really do well in. And that is a good thing. You know, like Jace excels, he loves putting stuff like Legos and things like that together. And he loves building and and using his brain. Like he is just so adamant and loves that stuff. So those are things that we try to kind of like hone in on versus being more active is very hard for him. It's hard to see it. My desire is to be like, well, I would love to have a child that doesn't have disabilities, but I don't know if that's in the cards for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just that, yeah, that contrast or like comparison, I guess, between cousins, I think is just, it's that much more, it's harder to ignore. It's harder to like not notice and to see and feel that pain as a parent when you're like, oh, my child has been through so much or, you know, they have so much to handle or they're going through a lot and these other kids don't necessarily have to. And yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. I think this is such an important conversation and I just really hope that people listening feel very seen and heard. And again, that you know that you're not the only ones dealing with this. That's just so important. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me again. If you want to find Chelsea or me on Instagram, you can find links in the show notes to do that. You can also find a link to join the Facebook group, Parents of Children with Rare Conditions, or another link to donate monetarily to help us continue to produce meaningful episodes. 
Join us next week for a conversation with mom, Libby Holly. We discuss the parable of the pain scale. The pain scale being those little charts with the number one through 10, the smiley face on one end and the really upset face on the other for rating pain. And ways that an eight for someone else may be a two or a three for us. And, you know, it's just a really important discussion and a perfect follow-up for today's episode. So I hope you join us. See you then.